Welcome to Legally Speaking with Music and Music. I'm your host, Joanne Music. I'm here in the studio today with Earl. How are you today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing great. We're finally both over being sick. We've had a few weeks off here. We've also got a couple changes coming. We're going to have a new outlet. We'll no longer be on KJOZ radio, um, and we're in search of our new home, but we'll announce that shortly. Um, got a couple topics we want to talk about here today. Um, both of them happen to be officer shootings. So, you know, we kind of lay the framework there and, and, and start with that. Um, but then kind of spin off on, on what's really going on in these cases. Um, out of Georgia, an officer, a bailiff deputy in the courtroom walks in and sees a man using his computer tablet tablet, something like an you know, iPad or um, a other computer tablet, tells the man to put that away and stop using his tablet. When he does not, the deputy calls for backup. When backup arrives, they grab the man. Uh, in some cell phone video that we see, there's a, uh, you can see the officer pulling and, or dragging the man out into the hallway by his backpack. He's got a backpack strapped on his back, and the officers are pulling him out into the hallway. When they get into the hallway, you can see the gentleman has his tablet, computer tablet in his hand, and he's got both of his hands up in the air, and he's saying, don't touch me, don't touch me. Um, clearly trying to get the officers to let him go. Uh, one of the officers has a taser in his hand, so he attempts to uh, stop this man from, you know, tugging and, and, and using his, uh, I, I guess really at that point you should say resisting. The officer's trying to get him to stop resisting, and so he places, uh, he tasers the man. Uh, when the taser doesn't work, it's, it's a little unclear from the video whether the taser simply failed to work or if it did work, but it simply had no effect on this particular man. When the taser doesn't work, uh, the other officer, deputy, pulls out a gun and shoots the man that had the tablet. Uh, so I want to kind of back up and talk about what's going on here. I mean, to me, this is just a crazy situation. And I want to clarify a couple of things. Uh, obviously, when uh, he is told uh, to put the tablet away and not to use the tablet in the courtroom, he continues that um, behavior. The deputy then... Uh, takes him into custody. Even though he's dragging him out of the courtroom... Um, he's physically it's, it's restraining him. Physically restraining him, at least taking him into custody. Uh, we don't know if it's in the mind of the officer that he's under arrest at this point, or simply is he taking him into custody. But uh, obviously, from what the witnesses are describing and videoing, uh, you could say that that the individual has been taken into custody. Right. Obviously, he's being taken into custody. And let me just uh, remind our listeners, you can read this complete story, if you like, on my blog over at Fault Lines. Uh, I wrote on this uh, last week. And, um, it, it, okay, so we have this, this gentleman being pulled out in the hallway. Um, he's being detained and or arrested for using a tablet in a courtroom. And he's resisting that. And he is resisting being 
taken into custody at that point. He's trying to hold his hands up in the air and say, stop touching me, leave me alone, uh, it, which is having no effect on the officers, and the officers are continuing to pull him out in the hallway. Do we know so if it, Georgia has a similar statute to Texas? In Texas, you're not, a, as you well know, you're not able to resist an, even an unlawful arrest. Well, yeah, and, and I'm not sure how Georgia looks at that, but let's back that up for just a second. Um, and, and you, you kind of jumped a little bit ahead of right where we're going, but um, the officers, the deputies, are there in the courtroom because they're in charge of courtroom security. So you have to assume one of the rules there in the courtroom is not to use your phone or tablet or computer. Um, And that's what the deputy is attempting to enforce. Let's be clear. It's not against the law to have a cell phone. It's not against the law to have a computer. It's not even against the law to use those in a courtroom. As long as you're not disrupting the the court. That's not a law. Generally speaking, though, the court, and you bring up a good point there on disrupting the court, the court has the ability to make rules uh, for people who come into the courtroom, and those rules are meant to maintain the decorum of the courtroom and keep keep disturbances from disrupting the court. Uh, So generally speaking, and you see this here in, in Houston and all the surrounding courts. A lot of the judges post signs saying, no phones in the courtroom. And clearly, if your phone was ringing or if the sound was on or whatever, that could be disruptive to the court. So clearly, I think the judge has the right to say, you cannot be using a telephone in the courtroom. You can't be on the phone talking. You can't have it ringing, things like that. Now, I quibble a little bit with the mere fact that you could hold it in your hand. Let's say you're playing Candy Crush, but you have all the sound turned off. There is no sound whatsoever being emitted from your phone or laptop. Um, you know, how can that be disruptive to the court? And so uh, part of me says that shouldn't even be a rule because it's an unenforceable rule because the judge cannot enforce, you know, an absolute ban on activity as much as they want to. They just, they can enforce, you can't be disruptive. And, and we don't know what th- that gentleman was doing on his phone. Maybe he was looking at the calendar to make sure that, that he had got to the right uh, courtroom, the right date. Yeah, uh, our phones are, are used now for so many different things. That's a great point because, you know, a lot of people use their phone to look at their calendar, make sure they're in the right place at the right time. Uh, they use their phones to get some internet access. Uh, they use their phone to pull up, you know, emails or other correspondence. You see lawyers all the time using phones or computers to pull up evidence, actually, and talk about it. We can this, now pull up case law on our computer. Yeah. And so, so this man, though, clearly not a lawyer. He's a he's a participant there. And, and I should add, he's over in um, a family probate court because he's there for a child support modification. So th- he's there for a hearing that's going to determine if he's paying the right amount of child support or not. Um, and there was a, the newspaper article said he was facing the potential to have to pay a little bit more per month in child support, maybe because he got a raise or something like that. Um, This wasn't about him being in arrears on child support or in there for a crime or anything like that. It's just about whether he's paying the right amount. So 
you know, for all we know, he was sitting there using his computer or his tablet to look up child support uh, payments or to look up how much is actually on his paycheck so he can tell the judge or the court, this is how much money I make. Um, Whatever it is he's sitting there doing with the computer, this deputy decided he shouldn't be doing it and we should put a stop to it. So they drag him out into the courtroom. And this gets to the point you made, Earl, where you said, um, you know, at that point, it's a detention or an arrest. And in Texas, I, I don't I don't want to speak to the law in Georgia because I'm, I'm not familiar with it. But in Texas, even if that arrest is completely illegal, the officer has no basis to arrest you. You cannot take that up with the officer on the street. You may not physically resist an illegal arrest in Texas, right? And so here, I don't know, like I said, if, if that was if that sort of statute applies in Georgia, but let's assume here, let's assume they're in Texas and the gentleman has no right to resist this arrest. He's resisting by sort of pulling away. When you watch the video, you know, his shoulders move from side to side. He's moving backwards away from the officers. Just simply, hands are in the air, no threat, computer tablet in one hand, other hand empty. Um, His hands are in the air, and he is telling the officers, don't touch me. So if you might imagine, you know, me reaching out to touch you and you pulling away. That's kind of what this gentleman's doing. He's pulling away from the officer, trying to keep the officer from touching him. Is that resisting? Can be. It 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 it's real close, and um, um, normally uh, by policy they they expect in t- in Texas, in definitely in Harris County, that it goes a little bit beyond that. A little bit beyond Maybe merely just... the officer away. Right. And that's uh, one thing that uh, back when you and I were prosecutors, you know, many, many moons ago in the DA's office here in Houston, um, we were told, uh, and a lot of the case law supported, the fact that resisting um, required some use of force against the officer. So maybe I push the officer. And I now, believe if that's I just, case law, too. I think that's still the state of the law, as far as I know. Um, so if you try to grab my hand and I simply pull it away, that's not necessarily resisting, but it could rise to the level of resisting depending upon how aggressive I get. So, uh, okay, so we've got this man, two hands in the air, one holding a tablet, clearly... You know, no weapons seen or anything like that. You know, he's made it through security in the courthouse. There's no reason to believe he has any type of weapon. His hands are in clear view. The officer decides to taser him. What do you think about that, Earl? Well, um, when I was a police officer, uh, tasers were not in use. Uh, but they they seem to have come up with a policy at one point and i'm not for sure that that still is a policy that if um, a person fails to comply with the lawful order then you can result, result uh, in a taser to make the person come into compliance and so giving them the is, benefit of the doubt. But it's a use of force against that person you're trying to take into custody. Yes, it's, right. So you're using force against them, and you got to have some reason to be using that force. Correct. Right. And so let's, let's give the officer the benefit of the doubt. We resort to a non-lethal 
use of force in order to get this person into compliance. Correct. Okay. So tasering, maybe, maybe not the right thing to do there. Uh, But when the taser doesn't work, the second deputy pulls out his gun and shoots him. You know... Let's talk about, I don't want to get too much into Georgia law because I'm not an expert over there. I don't really know how their statute reads. But in Texas, if you're a police officer, can you use deadly force against somebody in that situation? In that situation, you cannot use deadly force. You have to be in fear of of, uh, imminent harm to yourself uh, or someone else. And uh, and you have to believe that that basically your life is in danger, and so you result to deadly force to protect your life. Right, and we see this a lot in um, police shooting cases. It turns out that the person is unarmed, but maybe the officer doesn't know that up front. Right? Let's say the officer arrives on a, um, a, a on a police call, a domestic violence case. And the notes that he's aware of, the reason he's going out there is there might be a gun involved, and so he's going out there to check it out. Okay, um, and then you have maybe an officer telling, it's just stereotyping it, telling the man, uh, put your put your hands up, you know, let me see your hands, let me see your hands, and the man won't show his hands. Now, in that kind of instance, the officer may very well be in fear of his life because he does not know this man won't show his hands, so the officer has no idea whether or not that man has a weapon and could be a danger. So you end up with a situation there where the officer could be in fear of his life. Now, if you can see both those hands and you know there's no weapon in them, what do you think? Does that change the situation a little bit? It changes it quite a bit. Uh, I could see a situation where uh, someone is struggling with several uh, police officers, and the person struggling tries to retrieve one of the officer's guns, uh, and another officer might see that and and result to deadly force. But in this situation, uh, uh the video clearly shows that he's not grabbing the officer's well, gun. and let me stop you there for just one second part, uh, Earl, because you may not be aware of this. Some of the reading I did on this case, the police officer, the deputy, a supervisor that these people resorted to or, or re- reported to, said it was unclear whether the suspect, meaning the guy who ended up getting shot, whether he might have been trying to get one of the two officers' guns. Okay. So, yeah, I don't, so I don't want to, yeah, I don't think you were aware of that, and I don't want to set you up for a wrong answer there. If this person who has no weapon on himself is trying to take the officer's weapon, then you, the officer can be placed in fear and result to that deadly force. Yes, and I, and so, I don't believe that the officer's restricted to wait until he pulls out the gun and actually shoots the officer. Right. Uh, if, uh, if someone is trying to get a police officer's gun, I think the police could assume that he's probably going to use that gun. Yeah, why else them. would he want it? You, you'd make that assumption, why else would you want it? And the same would apply in your own home if you're defending your home. You don't have to wait for someone to try to take your gun away uh, that breaks into your house. You know, you don't have to wait for them to actually take it 
before you do something. And, and the officer's no different. But from what I've seen, though, on the cell phone videos that recorded this incident, bystanders watching, it does not appear that the officer, I mean, or that the suspect ever attempted to get the officer's gun. But I did want to throw that out there that a supervisor did claim that was a little unclear. So I don't know if they found anything new about that, but at least at the time of the shooting, uh, they were reporting that the officer might have believed that he was taking the gun. But, uh, you know, everything I saw, hands are in the air, not reaching for the officer, and the officer shoots him. Uh, ironically, shoots him right in the butt. Um, so, um, you know, but all over a tablet. You know, uh, that that's what... It could turn out that the officer in this case was absolutely justified because maybe this man tried to grab the officer's gun or something. But my problem with this case all, all the way around is why is the officer, why are both of these officers even getting into that situation in the first place over whether or not someone has a computer out? You know, that's, that's just beyond me. Un- unfortunately, um, I know and I can speak uh, in Harris County and, and surrounding counties, um, judges feel that they have an absolute right to make rules for their courtroom. Uh, in Harris County, many of the judges, you don't go before the court with your shirt tail out. Uh, must be stuffed in. If you're a male, if you're a female, then you can go forward with the shirt uh, out. But um, so these judges make rules, and then they then allow you got deputies the, they, trying to enforce them. Yeah, they allow their their bailiffs or their deputies uh, to enforce these rules, and maybe even some of the judges expect them to do that. And um, you make a really good point. Um, you know. Is the fact that someone is in the courtroom with their shirt tail out, does that interfere with the uh, quorum of the court? You know, yeah, and that's the that's the point I, I think is made there. Take it out of a cell phone, take it out of a computer tablet. We see these rules where, you know, male shirts must be tucked in. How in the world does that have anything to do with keeping order in the court? Now, uh, I think some judges would quibble and say, well, it's just not really an order issue, but it's a safety issue. I want my bailiffs to be able to see his waistband and see if he's got a weapon. Well, of course, you know, at the same time, every one of those people came through metal detectors when they came into the building. But, uh, you know, so, so they may try to couch it in a safety issue or whatnot. But anytime someone might be accused of violating one of those court rules... The the proper remedy is a contempt of court, which could be a fine and possibly some jail time. But it's not that you've committed a crime by having your shirt tail untucked or having a phone in your hand or whatever. So we've got deputies uh, in the courtrooms here locally trying to enforce what I'd call house rules or court rules, uh, you know, without the judge saying, you know, Hey, we need order in this court, and and bailiff, that man right over there, he's causing a disruption. You need to take him into custody. You know, these are deputies going about their own, deciding who's causing or potentially causing a disruption. Um, anyway, but you know, like I said, this whole thing, it just what really got me about got me about this case is the mere fact that it is starts out as just because the man won't put a computer tablet away. 
crazy. You know, ends up getting shot. Um, so I, I want to talk just briefly about um, one other case I wrote about on Fault Lines blog. So if you want to head over there, uh, just Google up Fault Lines blog or, or take a look at our Twitter or uh, Instagram or Facebook. It's on all of those as well, uh, both of these articles. I wrote a second article. It came out this morning on a police officer out of California who shot and killed a man ended up getting convicted of involuntary manslaughter. The officer sees a truck, pickup truck, leaving a club. This was uh, Thanksgiving of 2015. Uh, Sees a man leaving a club described as sped off out of the parking lot without his headlights on. So you've got an officer here who probably for the right reasons, started following that vehicle. He wanted to either make sure they turn their lights on and are safe, slow them down and they're safe, or maybe that they're not intoxicated leaving a club, failing to re- you know, to follow the speed limit and forgetting to turn your lights on maybe because you're intoxicated. Well, before the officer can ever uh, you know, talk to this man is driving the truck, unfortunately, the, the man driving the truck swerves or or something and hits the median and rolls the truck. In the process of rolling the truck, that gentleman's wife is ejected um, and lands out on the street. Um, She ends up dying there on the street, unfortunately. Um, the, The truck lands on its side with the driver door facing up. So as the police officer gets out of his car, yeah, he obviously sees this woman lying in the street. He sees this man climbing out of his truck. He's got both hands on, if you can imagine, popping up out of a box. So he's popping up out of the inside of his truck, out the driver's side window, and uh, you know, he's raising himself out the, of the truck. The officer walks up to him. As soon as he sees him, takes his pistol out, Ames fires the man immediately. You can tell in the in this video is up on YouTube if you want to take a look at it. But um, and it's referenced in my blog piece. But so you take a look at this video. The man immediately you can if you slow it down and watch his body goes completely limp and he falls back into the truck he was trying to climb out of. It really appears the officer shot this man for no reason whatsoever. The man has is doing nothing other than trying to climb out of the truck. But the second the man falls back in the truck, the officer holsters his weapon and walks up there to look in the truck. So, you know, the, the mere fact that he holsters his gun and walks up there tells me... I don't think there's a gun or anything else in that truck. I don't think this man's a danger or I'd be stepping backwards, not walking up to it. I'd keep my gun out, not put it away. Um, so he, he walks up and he looks at the man and he looks down inside the truck and he stands there for a second. And then he realizes, oh, I need to call this out on the radio. So he calls out on the radio, tell dispatch and other units, there's a vehicle accident overturned. I have an unresponsive female lying in the road and a man who's refusing to get out of the truck. You know, which just surprises me all the way around because, first of all, this man's not refusing to get out. He was trying to get out and the, and the officer shot him. 
for whatever reason, call it a lucky shot, call it a, a perfect shot. I don't know if that's what he was intending to do, but the shot severed the spinal cord right through the neck and immediately paralyzed the man. That's why the body goes limp and falls back into the truck. Uh, he ends up dying, but along the way, we've got, uh, you know, he's, he's put this call out on the radio, so you have paramedics coming to tend to the wife who's laying on the ground. You have other officers coming to help get this man out of the truck. What I find interesting is the other officers are, are saying, you know, what's going on? And he says, oh, the truck rolled over. You know, he's describing the whole thing. And they go over and they ask the man, you know, get out of the truck. He says, I can't. I've been shot. And he says, you're not shot. Get out of the truck. And they continue to talk. And, you know, a couple minutes passes or a few seconds. And the officer looks at, tells the man again, you're not shot. Who shot you? He's, and the man says, the officer, the cop shot me. And the, the second officer turns around and says, the cop did not shoot you. Did you get shot when you were at the club? You know, they're trying to figure this out. But the officers and, never even bothered to tell anybody he shot somebody. And I, th I think it's really funny, too. The um, And not funny, it's it's really sad. The officer that did the shooting, uh, and, and I want to mention this just before I forget. Uh, the officer has his gun out. He fires immediately after uh, shooting the individual. He holsters his gun. The, the threat's over. Right. He's not. He's not concerned about any threat. Now he's holstered his gun as if he knows he has shot and killed someone. Right. And so, but, but even worse than that, while these other officers are trying to talk this this paralyzed individual that can't move, uh, they're they're trying to talk him into trying to get out of the truck. Uh, and they the, don't believe him that he's been yeah, shot because the, they have no reason to the think that. The officer that shot him is walking around and he's looking at the ground. And he's not even helping the officers with the guy in the truck. Or the, uh, or the lady on the ground. Yeah. He's not helping anybody. He's, he's walking looking around. looking for something. And what's he looking for? He's looking for the brass that ejected out of his gun when he fired it. He's looking for that spent casing. That he from from having just shot somebody. Yes, and yeah. he finds it. And he finds it, and he puts it in his pocket, and they proceed he, to he go on. He kind of slips it in his pocket, so it's like no one can see. Yeah, and all of this is on dash cam video from his own patrol car, but I guess he doesn't realize that. It goes on for almost twelve minutes. With multiple paramedics on the scene, multiple firefighters on the scene, trying to uh, multiple police officers on the scene, trying to figure out how to get this man out of the truck, how to save this woman who's lying on the ground, um, trying to find out whether or not this man got shot. And right as the other officers are going to go back to the club to find sure out who at the club might have shot this man, the officer walks over to his supervisor and says, um, excuse me, I might have shot him. I mean, I didn't point my gun at him, but it did go off. And the officer says, you got to be kidding me. And that's where the, the tape ends. Um, but it, it it's just beyond me that this officer has no regard for having shot somebody. He hasn't even told his fellow workers. He hasn't told dispatch. These these are all 
big problems with police procedure. You know, we kind of talked about this a little earlier, and, and John was in on the discussion and said, well, you know, an officer really has no duty to try to save the man, um, which I think is cold and callous. And he's probably right. The officer really doesn't have a duty to get in there and start doing CPR or anything like that. But, I mean, isn't it common decency to call? I mean, even if this were you and you're not an officer, you you know somebody's been hurt. What do you do? You call 911. You say, I think this person's been shot. He needs help. And, and this is so unusual. Uh, just uh, blocks away from our office, they had a attempted robbery of a Brinks truck, and um, the individual that was trying to uh, robbed the truck, actually fired at the police officer, and uh, he was shot. And the police officers immediately go to him, and you you see it on the video. They're trying to save his life, yeah. even though he had just tried to take their life. Right. And we see that time and time and time again. Right. Uh, and even even if though the officer... we're talking about two different shootings right. here, in the majority, in the vast majority. The, the police the officer, are probably justified, but you have some guy like this that just shoots someone for no reason at all. Right. Uh, and then it, just walks around and ignores police, it. Yeah, it gives the rest of the police officers doesn't, really a bad name. Yeah, it really does. He doesn't tell anybody else. He doesn't get anybody helping this guy. Um, you know, it's not until he hears... I, I, you got to assume he heard it because you hear it real loud and clear on the video. You hear these other two officers are about to go to the club that this man left from and try to figure out how he got shot over there. Because uh, now they've realized as they break him out of the car that he is bleeding and he probably was shot. So they, you know, where they didn't believe him at first, now they have a reason to believe it and they're going to check on it. So he decided he better come clean, uh, you know, and tells his supervisor. Um, you know, of course, then in in the follow-up, in the aftermath, he did get charged. He did get convicted. I find it odd or, or kind of interesting that he got charged with an involuntary manslaughter, meaning no forethought, didn't mean to, just was reckless or negligent. The way, the way I read this in the California statute, it's a willful negligence or a recklessness gets you to the involuntary manslaughter and um, rather than something intentional. But everything about that video looks intentional to me. He walks up, pulls his gun, shoots him, calmly puts the gun away, walks over, looks at him, and, you know, nothing appears. And it's not even like... His very action of even trying to hide the brass. Even trying Um, to hide the bullet. You know, everything is done as if there's a guilty mind. And this is what I find so interesting. Prosecutors always, when when they are prosecuting a non-law enforcement officer... They always say, well, you got to look at the totality of the circumstances. He certainly didn't behave like he was innocent. He certainly acted like he was hiding something, you know, and and that's how they build these cases. And then here, you you know, when it's an officer involved, they don't want to build that kind of case. And the officer, the prosecutor initially said they weren't going to prosecute him at all. As I understand from the media accounts uh, back in 2015, the initially they said, no, we're not prosecuting. And then there was a small demonstration or, or protest um, in the city, in the town where all this happened. And um, the, uh, that convinced the prosecutor to change his mind. What, what I also find interesting about this, after he's convicted, uh, this happened just earlier this year, um, just last week, he was back in court for his sentencing 
and the judge sentenced him to three years of probation. Um, something that's just typically not heard of for killing somebody. You just typically don't get a little short probation for killing somebody. Uh, you know, and, and, and the judge made reference to the fact that this was a police officer, so he had no criminal record, um, you know, and it was kind of a bizarre situation. And so he felt like the probation was appropriate. Um, but, I, you know, it immediately made me think about uh, the Dr. Um, Murray case, the, the, the doctor who got convicted of killing Michael Jackson. Um, they tried him out in California on an involuntary manslaughter, very same case, and he ends up in prison for four years for providing medication to Michael Jackson that caused him to OD. So, you know, it seems like just such a different treatment when we're talking about a police officer versus a non-police officer. Again, Dr. Murray, no criminal history. So what's the difference? And you hear all the time, you you hear the police side of it. Uh, If I wasn't a police officer, they would uh, definitely give me probation or whatever. They're trying to hold me to a higher higher standard. I believe, being an ex-police officer, I believe that police officers should be held to a higher standard because that's what the public expects, and they expect you to live up to that standard. Well, they're entrusted. Not shoot someone just simply because they're resisting. Don't shoot someone who's who's actually doing nothing at all right. at the point other than trying to get out of the car. Out of a wrecked car, yeah. Um you know, even the officers that first come on the scene to assist and are trying to talk to this man, they're telling him, sir, we need you to come out of the car. The engine's still running, and we don't want the car to explode or cause any other problems to you. We need to get you out of the car. Um, and that's when he starts telling them, well, I can't get out. I've been shot. And they're, you know, of course, then they're arguing with him. No, you haven't been shot. And, you know, so it kind of goes just downhill from there. Really a tragic situation, Um you know, but I just can't help but think, just like you said, why don't we hold officers to a higher standard? Um, well, that's going to wrap it up for us today. We uh, are going to get back on track, and we'll be with you guys each week. Uh, hopefully on Thursdays, we're still setting up our new schedule and our new home. But uh, in the meantime, we'll uh, be in, in recording and placing these up on our social media accounts and our podcast, and uh, we'll let you know as soon as we're back on the air. Uh, should be uh, pretty soon. We're working on it. So uh, thanks again, Earl, for being here today. Uh, and we will see you all next week. Thank you. Thank you.